This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Welcome to episode 179 in class with Carr. Good everything, Nubians and others. Dr. Great Carr, what are we looking at? This is, where. where is uh, this? This is an incredible scene. We are floating down the Nile. You see uh, several Nubians there, brothers from uh, North Carolina and Alabama. That was Ms. Anelli Ayanelli next to me, who's regular on office hours, comes in. We are at this, the northern tip of, yes, Ms. Anelli, uh, there's a sister April, April Grice, who of course is always in, Professor Grice. Uh, we are looking there, we were looking there as we sailed uh, over to the, something called the Tombs of the Nobles. That's where we were this morning about, about 8 o'clock local time, which was about 1 a.m. East Coast time. Um, that is, we are staying on the ice. You saw a glimpse of our hotel, the Moby Pick, at a place called, now called Aswan. The right. island's called El that that's actually we, we were actually at the top of that mountain uh this, this morning. Is this, what is the name of this mountain? What is this mountain? Th this mountain this mountain is actually it's called the site of the tombs of the nobles. It's the high cliffs opposite Eswan, just short, uh just um north of an island named for a European invader, an Englishman named Lord Kitchener. Kitchener who uh, caught his end and had a little problem with his keeping his head, literally and figuratively, in the Sudan uh, as they tried to invade the Sudan. But just north of Kitchener's Island, the high cliffs, um, there are many tombs there of the governors of this region during ancient Egypt, during the Old Kingdom, which of course remind people is around 4,500 years ago, and during the Middle Kingdom, which is roughly speaking about 4,000 years ago. We went to four tombs this morning, and we're sailing on the Nile. The island there, as you see it come into view, uh, that island that we're sailing around that we had just left by boat is called Elephantine Island. There's mm -hmm. no uh, consensus uh, based on the island. We don't know uh, for sure why they call it that. Uh, well, the ancient name for it in Metanetra is Abu, A-B-U, Abu, uh, meaning elephant. Uh, the rocks, the cataracts that are in the Nile River some of them kind of look like elephants. And of course we know elephants are native to Greece uh, and Rome and also parts of Europe and wait, wait, no, I'm sorry. Right, elephants are in Africa. So at any rate, <laughs> inner Africa. <laughs> so yeah, we it's called Elephantine Island or Abu. And we're staying on the island. That's where I'm sitting right now. And we were going to see these tombs, which we'll talk about in a minute. And this a uh, couple of hundred of us still on the journey for the next few days. My, my dream, you know, we watch, um, you know, Agatha Christie, you know, they have movies, you read these books, you know, uh, on the Nile, you know, there's like all this intrigue. Uh, there's a recent movie uh, and I was like, I want to sail down the Nile and now I get to watch, you know, vicariously, but I'm actually going to be on a boat. So y'all on a boat sailing up the Nile? I guess well, well, actually, interestingly enough, sailing, let's see, sailing up the Nile, yeah, because we're headed south most of the time, which means against the current. We know the Nile runs from inner Africa into the Mediterranean in the Nile River. And it's so funny. You must have known that, Professor Hunter. Agatha Christie had a couple of hotels that she liked when she stayed in Egypt. One we didn't stay at. We were right down the street from in Luxor last time we were all together. But today we sailed past a couple of times. Once we went to the tombs of the nobles. Again, we went to the Nubian village that we visit every time we come to bring 
resources to the, the mayor of the town and the head of the school for the children. We sat there with all the school children. And then we posted up in a wonderful restaurant uh, owned and operated by Nubians. We are in Nubia. In fact, these folk down here refer to themselves as Nubians. But we passed something called the Old Cataract Hotel. The Old Cataract Hotel, which uh, in 1987, when a thousand black folk came over here for the Association for the Study of Classical African Civilizations, that was a hotel that was favored from time to time by Yosef Benyakin and Dr. Ben. When he started coming to Kemet, when he started coming to Egypt, they wouldn't let him stay there. You know, black people allowed there. But the reason I bring it up, and you must have known this, otherwise you wouldn't have brought her up, that's where Agatha Christie wrote the first draft of what became Death on the Nile. We passed that hotel on the Nile River this morning a couple of times. So just, just what you mentioned. There's a couple of things. First of all, where we stay and where we go as Black people spending money. You know, we mm -hmm. talked before. There's some people bristling. What's wrong with going to Greece? There's nothing wrong with going to Greece or Ibiza or any place. There's no nothing wrong. But there are amazing places like we're we're seeing here. I, I'm just, I just want to go back a little bit. Um, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to go here and spend your money at a Nubian owned hotel, putting money in circulation in a Nubian space. Why, right. why would you want to do that? I just, I don't understand. And, and when you said black people couldn't stay there, right? Why would you want to reward, you know, a, a history of, of segregation or, or, uh, you know, not seeing us as valued human beings? You know, why would no you question. want to do that? So no for you, you, you talked about bringing resources. Talk a little bit about that, too, because when we travel, we're not ugly Americans. We're Africans returning home. So we yes. should come bearing gifts, right? I guess that's what that is, is saying. But you go every year. Why do you bring resources and what do the resources look like? Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful question. And, and, and of course, we can be very clear that we can also be ugly Americans because, you know, the American Negro is often the first person off the bus asking about the air conditioning or talking about how hot it is. Not us, but, uh, you know, we've both seen that many times. We go somewhere and show our, uh, our A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-E-S-S, uh, our Americanness. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, yeah, we come bearing resources. And it's very important because right now the, the the U.S. dollar is one to thir about 31 Egyptian pounds, one to 31. When we were here in 2019, it was roughly speaking five to one, or about six to one maybe. So we see that the Egyptian economy is is uh, uh, enduring some stress. We know that the war in Ukraine, the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, has put severe stress on Egypt because uh, Russia and Ukraine are two sources of foodstuffs for Egypt, particularly wheat. Uh, yesterday, we traveled about four and a half hours south of here to within eh, about five, uh, five miles, well, no, maybe about 15, 20 miles of the border with Sudan to a place called Abu Simbel. Simbel is a very important place. We traveled through the desert. I'll talk more about Abu Simbel in a moment. We went there to see two temples in particular, which are the temples of Ramses II and Nefertari. Uh, really, you know, just just amazing temples. But what you, what we traveled through the desert, we saw that the Egyptian government is investing a great deal of money in trying to basically terraform the desert, bring water from Lake Nasser. Uh, we'll talk about as well in a moment into the desert so that Egypt can continue to and improve in feeding itself. Only about five and a half percent of land in, because most of this desert, of course, is, is dedicated to agriculture, 
And there are 20 some million people, 22 million people or so in Cairo alone in this country. So it's, it's this great difficulty, but so resources are important. Um, Jack Cole is with us, of course, who's a regular in office hours. She uh, flew from South Africa to the United States in the State Department work that she does and then came over. And we were talking last night in, in our broad conversation because we have a, a nightly convening of uh, the couple of hundred of us who are here as we go through what we've seen, talk about what we're going to see the next day, and just kind of reflect on what we've seen. Uh, she was talking about how, you know, the world is changing and how they have been meeting uh, in South Africa and beyond for uh, quite some time. The uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa coalition known as BRICS, and they have, they have a major meeting this month uh, for dedicated in South Africa. Talk about alternative currencies, greater cooperation. And in that process, we understand that the monetary system of the Western world, the one that we all live under, is one that in many ways shapes our ability to organize, our ability to connect, our ability to discuss things, our ability to empower ourselves, our, our ability to use our governance power. And so when we come to the Nile Valley, we try, we are very mindful of the fact that because, you know, most of the people who are with us this time live and work in the United States of America, even those on a great budget who have sacrificed a great deal to come here and put the money together to come here. And we've got families here. We've got married couples here, people celebrating anniversaries, uh, people celebrating uh, bringing their families, their children. We've got children here. Uh, elders coming for the first time to the continent, elders who have been here, who are coming back, elders, who, uh, people who have come back, who have come as recently as this year, Deborah Hurd, who, who uh, helped lead a tour here earlier this summer, came back and gave a remarkable discussion of the geography of ancient Africa. And my good friend, the homegirl, Deborah Hurd, at the university, working, uh, finishing up her PhD at the University of Chicago, a trained archaeologist and uh, a founding member of the William Leo Hansberry Society. Tonight, she'll be talking about women in ancient Nubia. Uh, we know there are more pyramids in the Sudan than there are in Egypt. In fact, uh, in certain cer several places in the Sudan, there are more pyramids than there are in the entire, uh, in, in the entire country known as Egypt. But I'll all, all that up to say that some people, you know, are, are better able than others to fund their trip, to source their trip, and others are, you know, tight budget. And I'm saying all that to say that, however, all of us have more monetary resources, generally speaking, than you know, the Nubians in Egypt, more, you know, more or less. And that's and so when we come, we try to be mindful of the fact that if we're serious about building global connections, then we have to be mindful of be, doing whatever we can to uh, connect with those who can use those resources and to help empower them or to help them to, to continue to empower themselves. And that means doing things that are very concrete. Um, we go, every time we come to the Nile Valley, we go to villages, to towns that are here on the island, on Elephantine Island. Uh, a lot of tourists go to those places, but we have a special relationship with the, with the towns here on uh, the island called Elephantine, Abu. And that relationship goes back decades to the generosity of the Nubian people toward their cousins, as they call us in the diaspora, particularly the United States that have been coming. Uh, the generosity showed when we were in a momentary crisis 
Uh, there's a brother, of course, I just mentioned his name. I'll mention it again, the great Yosef Antonio uh, Alfredo Benyakinen, Dr. Ben, as he was known, uh, that son of the Spanish Caribbean and Ethiopia, uh, who spent most of his working life in New York City, traveling the world, who came to Egypt over and over and over again. When he first started coming, Dr. Ben said, I used to have to sleep sometime outside. I'd be in the death sleeping because there's no place for me to stay. A man who lived to see uh, tours of African people coming to this region um, in great numbers. Dr. Ben, of course, was not the first in the 1950s and 60s to come to Egypt. Not the first person of African descent. We know Paul Robeson was here before him. We know Louis Armstrong uh, and Louis Armstrong came on their tour around the time Dr. Ben started coming. We know that Elaine Locke in 1925, when the tomb of Tutankhamun, the living reflection of Amun, the living reflection of God, Tutankhamun, known as King Tut, erroneously, around the world, whose name we only know because his little tomb, which we visited in the Valley of the Kings and Queens uh, a few days ago in Luxor, we know that uh, the only reason we know Tutankhamun is because his tomb was undisturbed. It's a tomb. And, uh, but there was so much stuff packed in there along with his body, all that gold and all that, that that famous death mask we all know and all that, that when they excavated it, it looked as if it was an unfathomable treasure. But um, I mentioned him because, you know, when you look at the resources that the Nubians have in comparison to the what tourism generates in this economy and all this kind of thing, we know that they're walking a fine line. And so, Yosef Benyakinen, who started coming to the Nile Valley a generation after Elaine Locke was sent to the Nile Valley by Black America, Negro America, as it may have been called then, to be witness when the tomb of Tunakamun was opened in 1925, people put money together, mostly Black people put money together and funded a lot being there saying that the Negroes need a representative to stand there when you open this tomb up to see this Egyptian to see this pharaoh, to see the boy king as he was known. Well, you also Benyakin and started coming to research. Dr. Ben started coming to research ancient Egypt. And he started bringing other people. And then in the 1960s, late 1960s, other people started coming in great numbers. Uh, Jacob Carruthers and the Comedic Institute started coming in the early 1970s. Uh, Larry, uh, Kwaku Larry Crow is here with us and Mama Olabisi um, is here with us as well. Um, uh, Mama uh, Olabisi Olu, uh, Ola Kalade, Ola Kalade is here. And in fact, she did a beautiful ritual this afternoon after we ate. We stopped to swim and she was in the Nile. We did a Nile ritual. Well, you, you smiling. You may, somebody must have posted some of the video. Yeah, no, I, I, I want you to, first of all, let me say thank you um, for those who didn't go, for those who couldn't go, for whatever reason, people having FOMO, including me, I'm having FOMO. Um, <laughs> watch this intention. You know, a lot of us have traveled, uh, some of us have traveled, but we go on these places, you know, whether it's to Paris or to, you know, Great Britain, and you do the tours and you see the guys with the fuzzy hats and you have tour guides. For you to have a convening after you've gone to these places to sit and talk and sit with what you've seen, understand it, and then tee up what's coming. This is a tour of intentionality that connects us right back to ourselves. And this ritual that, that Mama uh, Olabisi did uh, that you participated in that included swimming and yoga. <laughs> I just, I want, I just, 
thank you, first of all, for sharing this, but it is the way we should be traveling, not just, oh, here's a site here. Let's put a lock on the thing. Let's, you know, let's go up and see the Mona Lisa. But that there's a, there has to be a connection to, to who we were, who we are, who we, who are going to be when we travel, even when we go to these European places. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm glad you raised that because, of course, with, with this many people, we needed multiple guides. In, the city, in, 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 in touring Egypt, you can't go into a lot of places. Well, you can go by yourself if you want, but the way to go is with a guide. Guides are licensed by the state. They have to go to school. They have to have a certain level of education. Uh, many of them are trained in Egyptology as academics, and we're fortunate to have several of those folk with us uh, this time. Um, and so it's good to do that. And you want to have the best guides you can have. Again, we we love traveling to with Consolidated Tours and, and Travel House of Egypt, the partnership that has been doing this a long time. And just to put a cap on on the momentum of this. Uh, this governance work among African people coming to the Nile Valley uh, from a lot of different places. Uh, as I said, in the 70s, you saw the, the Comedic Institute of Chicago do that kind of work. And then and then a lot of other people who come. Uh, we ran into uh, a couple of folks I talked about last week when we were uh, in Cairo, we were at the Pyramid, and then afterwards we ran into them actually in Luxor um, at a place called Waset, the Scepter, Power. Uh, the Greeks called it Thebes. Uh, we ran into uh, Brother Jabari and his wife. We were there uh, with the, and they saw us. In fact, the sister, I heard a, a, a kind of a, not a, not a scream, but it was like, oh, Dr. Carr, y'all are here? Yeah, all y'all here? Oh my God. And, and then, and then of course, followed very quickly with, I never miss Karen Hunter. Tell, is Karen here? No, Karen didn't come this time. Oh my goodness. I mean, all these people, right? Here we are in, in, in Waset, in, in Luxor, in Thebes, halfway around the world talking about what happens because of this medium of technology and this platform and the multiple platforms that you have with Professor Hunter. It's just really something. Um, but anyway, we, uh, we're not that anyway. In addition to that, the conversations that we have are framed by our guides, as are with all tours. But we have some of the best guides. We've got Nubians. Um, Brother Muhammad has been incredible, a scholar, first-rate scholar of his own, a published author. Um, we were talking about one of the books that he's written on ancient Egyptian history and culture. Uh, Brother Ahmed, who we had in 2019 when we had the last iteration of Howard students that we brought, a much smaller group. And of course, now since COVID, we have jailbroken the Black University. So this is open to everyone and it has been incredible. We got some college students here. We got some high school students here. We got some elementary school students here. We got some pre K students here, if you can believe that. And uh, all of them have been incredible. But at any rate, um, yeah, Brother Ahmed led us through last uh, time we were here, and so he has been joined, uh, Dr. Noha, uh, a sister, um, who is well-steeped and uh, trained in Egypt, Egyptology and steeped in Nubian history and culture. Uh, just a gentle spirit, very beautiful spirit, this sister, brilliant. Uh, and you know, we had a little bit of bus nationalism. We have six buses, and they're, they're coded by colors, red and orange and blue and, and so forth, and white and so but. But everybody loved their guide the most, which is the way it's supposed to be. But of course, they all work together as a team, which is something. Uh, Brother Yusuf, who has, uh, he, did, he did something the other day. We sailed over to, uh, well, we didn't sail, actually. We drove from Luxor to where we are now, Aswana. We stopped two times at temples. One, the temple for Heru at Edfu, Horus at Edfu, a Greek era temple built by the Egyptians. The Greeks built nothing. 
in the Nile Valley. The ones that are called Greek temples are temples that uh, were built by the Egyptians under Greek occupation, and the Egyptians still built them in their styles. And we stopped there to, for a number of reasons. And then we went to Komombo, which is a very interesting temple, uh, which is dedicated to healing. Uh, it'd be interesting to have a wealthy and wise there, Professor Hunter, at some point, because what you see, they have a double holy of holies. When you see the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, a nice little building. And I'm glad that it's rescued from fire damage and it should be rebuilt. But understand that the Cathedral of Our Lady, the, the original Our Lady, we went to a temple dedicated to her yesterday. That's closer to where we are now. In an island called Philae, it is a temple of Aset or Isis. And it too has a holy of holies. And I was trying to get some say, I said, ain't no good practicing Catholics in this room right now, because this is the chamber where if you're going to say a Hail Mary, it's likely to go ahead, because this is where Mary's grandmother was. In fact, we talked about how when the Romans came in here during the period of uh, the early days of Christianity, they basically took off the walls, the Immaculate Conception scene, and then the kind of orientation of mother to child of Heru, I'm sorry, Heru the child to um offset the mother or isis the mother and you'd see all in the holy of holies where what we would now call the altar in the church is of course this is thousands of years before that but you see uh her feeding her son horus and said this is where the mary and jesus story came from so um i couldn't get anybody to say hail mary probably no good practicing catholics in there although we got a bunch of negroes from new orleans over here who are cracking me up including a, a couple of brothers who are part of a group called the fellas uh, brother Moses was talking to this about uh, my brother Moses, um, who just a beautiful brother. He said, you know, me and my friend who I've known since the second grade, we're here. And they're, uh, they, they're part of a group that have been friends. They were elementary school. They call themselves the fellas. It's 10 of them and two of them are here with us. Uh, also another group that has formed these brothers out of Alabama and, uh, well, where else? Alabama and North Carolina. They call themselves the pyramid brothers. It's a whole nother conversation we're having. So at any rate, I'm saying all that to say, again, I haven't left the theme of resources, which I'm going to come back around to and connect it here in a moment. This feeling of camaraderie, this feeling of family that building is anchored in this study of the Nile Valley. And so, like I said, guides are very important in all that because the guides captain the buses, the guides get us into the sites, the guides give us a major overview on the sites, even as we've talked about where we're going the nights before, and we've been studying for months, everybody who is in, at least in the Nubia platform. There are a lot of people in here in, on, who are not in the Nubia platform. They watch us on YouTube, or they heard about it, they heard you talk about it, perhaps on Sirius. And so a lot of people who are not, but then the, a lot of people who are, if I had a penny for every T-shirt I have seen, the full range, the, the whole global majority uh, uh, collection, the, the let's be clear, Theophilo Benga quote, the John Henry Clark T-shirts, the narrative, the uh, Nubia renewed normal shirt, everything. We, we've been riffing in the Nile Valley. In fact, it's so thick with it that when we got to Aswan, even when we were in Luxor, one of the Nubian cats just walking out as we were walking, Nubia, Nubia, Nubia. <laughs> it's like it's fascinating. But at any rate, um, you know, everybody loves their guide and say, Brother Yusuf uh, did something incredible when we were in Kamombo, the healing uh, temple. And there's a double holy of holies. Usually there's one holy of holies, the sanctuary where the priests kind of conduct rituals. And, but this temple, which uh, represents healing, has a lot of imagery and a lot of metanature, a lot of writing connected to the healing arts and sciences. We were coming up and I was saying, see, this is where you can have a STEM program for young people who want to be architects, who want to be medical doctors and this kind of thing, take them to come humble and see this is what your ancestors do. There's a wall 
that has surgical instruments, medical instruments, and they're, they're lying one by one, etched into the stone, and you see them, and you can then begin to understand what their purpose is. And next to that collection on the wall is a sister about to give birth. She's on a birthing seat. You don't lay on your back with your feet in the air. You sit like you're sitting in a chair to give birth, and you see the birthing chair. We actually saw um, that in the Egyptian uh, Museum of Modern Egyptian, uh, no, no, the, the Museum of Egyptian Civilization. And I talked about that. Y'all go back to the in class for last week to, to, for us to talk about that. But anyway, I'm just talking about this through the eyes of the guides because Yusuf did something incredible. Yusuf, he, Yusuf articulated for uh, the folks his theory of how the circularity of how the temple alignment has, it was created was made to affect the the four moments of the sun. Would he see the four moments of the sun? You and I are talking about that, Professor Hunter, because these guys watched before we came in class. <laughs> they watched it on YouTube. I was like, y'all watched this and yeah, we got ready. We did our homework. And so Yusuf does his whole wow. thing where he wrote, he, wrote, he wrote this whole cosmology out of the way of knowing as we talked about the cosmogram and then he demonstrated it in the holy of holies i told him brother i've been coming here don't trip after trip since 1996 and i've never seen a guy do anything even close to what you just did a brilliant young brother i mean it was like come on man what are you doing i mean it was it was really thin. um and in a minute i'm going to talk about the final guy brother imad who did something today that i will be eternally grateful to him for but I want before before I mention him, I want to mention uh, the brother who's on our bus, brother Abdul. Uh, Abdul is the Nubian. Uh, he lives here in Aswan. Uh, he and his family are here. Uh, he's uh, he is the baby boy of I think seven. Uh, his parents could not read or write, uh, just like a lot of our parents and grandparents and great grandparents at this point as Africans in the United States. But they poured everything into he and his siblings. He has siblings who are medical leaders and engineers. They're living all over the world, some in Egypt, some outside the country. And Abdul um, has been just as good as gold. And in fact, today when we went up, climbed up those 200 or so steps to the tombs of the nobles, he and Mario um, took the lead to describe the tombs we're in. And I'll talk about those in a minute too, just briefly. Uh, but just a, just, a, just a good brother and brilliant finished sixth in his class in the national exams and to uh, become a guide. And not only he scored so high, top 10 guys who was going yearly test. He's been doing this now for a couple of decades, actually a little bit longer, I think maybe 25 years, but he scored so high that they sent him to graduate school. The top 10 get to go to graduate school for free. So he studied Egyptology. He, like you, was a literature major. His major was English literature, if you can believe that, as an undergraduate here in the Nile Valley. But um, I mean, just 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 a beautiful brother, and I, and I bring him up because he, uh, as a Nubian, has been very proud and happy to have us here in the valley. And um, and then brother, um, as I said, uh, Imad, who when we went to the Nubian village today did something that I'll be very eternally grateful for. When we landed in Cairo, before left, really, I had asked um, Brother Hatem, who runs Travel House here in in, uh, in Kemet, in Egypt, who he's the domestic partner with Mary Hanania and consolidated just the, uh, just another just true human being, the highest thing you can say. As my Zulu friends and brothers, is a brother who teach uh, Professor Piwakule, who teaches at Howard, who I've known for a very long time, Brother Piwakule, 
people Kune says, you know, among Zulu, we would, when we see each other and we are, see someone who's our friend, uh, we have a phrase in our language in Zulu that translates to, I see a human being. So I feel like that about Mary Hanania, who runs uh, Consolidated out of Atlanta. But when, you know, we say we were coming, so we have to see Baba Farouk, or as he is known, King Farouk. Farouk Cardi, who, when he stood as a tour guide 50 years ago, one of the few Nubians in the country who was licensed as a tour guide, it was Farouk Cardi who uh, was the relied to go-to person for Africans in the diaspora coming to Egypt. It was Farouk Carney who accompanied Dr. Ben on a number of his tours and then Asa Heard and Jacob Carruthers. It was Farouk Carney who has been a guy for Tony Browder and Renoko Rashidi and Clinton Crawford and Ashra Kwesi and so many others who have come. And it's Farouk Carney who is best known as the tour guide in Nile Valley. He is now retired. He hasn't been in the best of health and I love that brother. He is an elder. Um, he's a father figure to us. And every time we've come to the Nile Valley, he's been retired now for over a decade. He's a, he's near his late 70s now. And uh, Baba Farouk uh, always makes his way when we get to Aswan to us. Sometimes he comes to the hotel, but we all but all every time we go to the village to take our resources, which I'm coming to now, uh, he off he always uh, helps facilitate that. He always accompanies the town council and the mayor. Last time we were here in 2019, he took us all to the school. Dr. Delaney was on that trip, Kim Delaney, and we. she sat me and sitting, seeing, seeing her sit there and talk with the teachers and the students to see what their needs are and what we could do to help just support them. Very important that we sit with the elders. Well, today, Baba Farouk could not come when we got to the village. He what, He's not in the best of health. And so, you know, um, Hatem had said when we landed in Cairo, you know, I called Farouk and we'll see what we can set up. And then uh, yesterday, Hatem said, you know, Greg, uh, Farouk said to his house. Come through that, man. We go, okay, we gotta go by Farouk's house. So uh, among the guys, it was Imad, brother Imad, I think Imad is on the uh, bus with Angie Porter, who was here, who gave a talk the other night, brilliant exposition on succession and genealogy and ancestor connections in ancient Egypt. It was, you know, every every lecture has been incredible. Dr. Watkins, Leapy Watkins gave an incredible lecture and women in Egypt, ancient Egypt, just 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 brilliant. Everyone, as I mentioned, Deborah Heard uh, giving her lecture as well. Larry Crow started us off with 1987 and what happened here when a thousand African Americans came here. Again, all of the conversation about the hoteps and the people who just going back in the past and all of my academic friends who seem to think that this is mysterious and somehow crazy and evading the questions of race. And I'd like all of you now to continue to talk as I turn down the volume on. And you can talk as long as you want because you know you just need to be muted forever because you have become something that your master would be proud of but us who are trying to be free uh probably should ignore uh distraction noise but anyway larry crow gave a really incredible talks it's been it's been good as i said so Imad was deputized to take us and so when we got to the uh to the village we would typically go in meet with the student the young people and the elders and the community is there and he whispered in my ear and said you know ready what we're going to take you to see Baruch and so I, so I called Mario Belithi I said come on we're going and we went through the narrow streets of the village to go see Farouk Carney 
and of course he was incredibly gracious. These are black people. Oh, they are black people. And they behave like Africans. These are these are these are Africans whose ways of knowing are very familiar. When uh Abdul, when Baba Abdul, and it's funny because they don't, you know, they have language, Nubian language, which isn't a written language, it's mouth-to-ear language. But there are certain phrases that like Baba and Mama that they don't use on a regular basis. They have other words, but you know, we used to call people Baba and Mama. So it took a minute, but after about two days, now they all call them, you know, <laughs> Baba, Baba. One of the one of my favorite phrases in Arabic, one of my favorite words in Arabic is Habibi. It's like beloved one, but it sounds like baby. So when you see some an African, you know, like a lot of these Nubians who we've been becoming now so much that when we see folk that we know, they'll see us, ah, Habibi, Habibi, kiss. Like Habibi, Habibi, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but at any rate, we sat with uh, Farouk Carney, and he talked about the old days in Egypt when there were very few Nubian guides, and now he has children. These guys that we have now, they're the they're, they're the the political cultural children of Farouk Carney. And so again, thanking Muhammad and Ahmad, Ahmed, thanking uh, Dr. Noha and Abdul and Yusuf and Imad. And as we were talking, me, Mario, Blithia came in, you know, the elder sitting. So you don't stand up over an elder. We know the protocol. He touched his feet, embraced him, kissed the kiss. And he said, my son. I am his son. Because this is the best known Nubian tour guide probably the best known tour guide in the Nile Valley. He's the best known tour guide. Not just Egypt, not Egypt. He's the best known, in fact, they call him King Farouk. He's the best known tour guide in the world because the black Americans who have been coming here for years know Farouk. We know Farouk. And there are others. I mean, Abdul has that, that reputation as well. He, he rather just came back from here and, he, of course, Abdul was with him. But I bring that up because Imad is a younger guy. He's been, uh, although he's been in the, the tour guide business, studying, working, knowing all aspects of the business for about a quarter century. So young is relative, you know, but sitting there, he saw something that he hadn't seen before. He saw what this connection has been between these folk who live here and the folk outside the country who have been coming here. It isn't a, it isn't a tourist drive by. So to the resources, um, and I'll say maybe during office hours, I'll share some of the things that Baba Farouk had to say. Those who are in Nubia, well, I'll talk more about that because again, this is a man I value. Just I can't even put a mark on it. Me, Mario, Valencia, we just, you know, this is our father, another of our fathers. And uh, so, to the resources. Before I do, let me just tell you why the this is reciprocal. What we're doing in our small way is a reciprocal action to what they did for us. When you, there was a time Yosef Benyakinen came here. And he had a tour, a couple of buses, and one of the buses broke down. It broke down just outside of Nubian Village. And so they had a distress call. We got to figure it out what to do with this bus. Now we got the Nubians put the word out on the mouth to ear grapevine. And they came from the village, took those Africans from the United States back to the village while the bus was being repaired, fed them, made them comfortable. We went to see Baba Fruit. These are African people, ways of knowing. This man lives very modestly. Uh, he introduced us to his latest grandbaby, uh, Esra, a little beautiful baby, and her mother, just beautiful. And his other uh, 
daughter who uh, just no granddaughter who just finished one of the older grandchildren who just finished college, uh, his nephew. I mean, it was these are these are young younger people. It was a beautiful thing. But of course, we're talking there. And how long do you think it took before they came into the room? He was sitting there. We were sitting there talking to him with four Coca Colas. Why? Because they he got guests in your house. So he come with a train hospitality. So would you like one? Would you like one? I, if it, I don't care if it's hot swill. I got to drink it. Why? Because <laughs> you didn't. These people, you know, this is how, this is what we do. You don't let nobody come to your house and not offer something to them. So we sat there and drank Cokes. I think it's maybe the second soda I had since I've been here. And uh, and then of course when we finished, we you know reciprocated. We you know we 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 did some other things that we, we I won't repeat here. And then we walked back to where everybody else was. But of course, who walked with us? The children and the grandchildren and the nephew. Why? Because when somebody leave your house, you don't just say bye to them to sit there. You walk them part of the way or all of the way. These very we're very happy. We're very familiar with that. So um, the bus broke down. This is maybe close to 50 years ago when this happened at Dr. Ben. And the Nubians took care of them until the bus was repaired, made them comfortable. So every year after that, when Yosef Ben Yakinen came to the Nile Valley, he would bring his tours to that village and they would bring resources, pencils, paper, notepads, you know, books, whatever, you know, for years, all this stuff would get shipped with African-Americans. We just take the stuff over there and give to them for the children in particular and take up a cash donation. And then Asa Hilliard started doing that. Asa Hilliard, of course, was an educator par excellence, one of our master teachers, and he just widened that. So many years I've been present, um, including the years when, of course, this is the ASCAC years when Asa and Zingara Abisha Heru uh, the president of ASCAC for a number of years. Her grandniece is here, of course, Makeda Kumasi, uh, looking and sounding just like her auntie, um, brought her 16-string Cora and gave us a remarkable uh, moment in cultural meaning making in Cairo, as I talked about last week. Makeda is here. So, you know, representing her, her auntie and her other auntie, her sister, um, they had an educational foundation, uh, Rivers Run Deep, which was um, in Zinga, Heru, and Sabita, uh, Kefano, they were together, these sisters. And Makeda is here, you know, representing them and extending that legacy. And so what we did was we budgeted in, and folks budgeted in to make a contribution, and we gave them a substantial amount of money um, because we thought that teachers know best what resources students need. We've been doing this now the last few times we've been there. So we made a, made a presentation to the mayor um, the school will get their money directly and the children were there, you know, and it's really something when you get a chance to do that. But again, we didn't do that as an act of charity. We did it as an act of solidarity and an act of family, an act of cultural meaning making part of a global governance formation. We are family. These are our cousins and we are going to do everything we can to help them. And, you know, and we get more than money from that. We get the knowledge that they know that we can be dependent upon um, and that we got new members of the family in terms of these guys, many of whom I'd never worked with before. Of course, Ahmed I'd worked with um, did not know Baba Abdul. I knew him by reputation. I knew him by the, the folks he has guided here. And, I, and then when, the, when we met, we started talking and I said, we got to see King Farouk. And he said, you know, when Farouk retired, 
he was approached by uh, by the you know the, the guides and the companies. Hey, we need some more guides. Anybody you want rep, uh, to recommend that would kind of continue your work with this particular group of people who come to the Nile Valley? And Abdul said that he told him, you know, his name. And I said, he said, so he's like my uncle. I said, no, he's like your father. <laughs> so and so when we came today, you know, Imad took us over there. I said, you know, you know, these are your sons and daughters. These guys we have today, and Abdul in particular, you know, as a son, of, as a son of him carrying on this work. So I understand there've been some chairs thrown around in my mama's home state. What's going on in Alabama, Professor Hunter? <laughs> I'm not trying. throwing chairs in Alabama. What? I feel like, you know, it's not about the chairs. It was a moment that probably in Black August will be remembered among all of the other moments in Black August that tie us together. Um, and in many ways, I, I think this is going to have a lasting effect, you know, what we all witnessed. Um, Dr. Black came on my show this week, uh, actually Thursday, and he said, no, it wasn't. It was Tyler Merritt who said at first when the video popped up, he thought he was going to see another tragedy and he was getting himself prepared to see a black man beaten, maybe beaten to death, you know, because that's what it was looking like was happening. You know, one another one of these videos where a black person is being assaulted. And then something different happened. So, you know, um, I know you were on Roland uh, and I'm sure you've talked about it. And I don't know if it's even has it made its way to Egypt because I know it's made its way to some fashion show. Somebody had a chair. Uh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it's like Roland is fascinated by these videos. He is having a ball. I get it. I get it. I do get it. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, this is the thing though, Prof, that I think that is very that is essential. If we're talking about this from an Africana studies framework. And let me not even say studies, because we've jailbroken the university. If we're talking about this, because you know, academic departments, this all been washed away. We're not doing that here. We're not doing that. But in terms of this Africana framework that we're using, if we're talking about from that framework, this is very much a social structure, governance structure clash moment. But I tell you, it isn't. Put it this way: on the boat that you saw when you showed the clip, that boat was being navigated by Nubians. The Nubians got the boat industry on lock in that farm. The only way you get off that island to the mainland, go to the bazaar, go to the shops, and it's a bunch of us over there right now while I'm doing it in class. A lot of them over there getting last minute things. The only way you get there is the boat. The ferries run 24 hours a day. Now, Montgomery, Alabama, of course, very important city for our people. That was one boat. These boats, by the dozens, if I open this window, we could go out there and look, these boats are constantly going. And they got tires on the side because they bumping into each other. But these are masters. And of course, in the Nile, they swimming in the Nile. All these children, sometimes schools out, they swim up next to the boats. They pass the boats. They singing in about five different languages, trying to get a couple of dollars here and there. They on surfboards. Some of them just swimming in the Nile. So it's a lot of human beings in the boats. What is not there is conflict. So these boats coming up against each other, they, putting, they got tires. So sometimes, like we got, like we have like six boats. 
So the boats come to the restaurant, one boat pull up, you ain't got time to let them off another boat. They can line the boats up side by side and create a walkway literally from the sixth boat to the first boat and people can walk through and they do it without even thinking. Ain't no one got no shoes on. They're wearing galabias like I got on. Is that they laugh and they talk and they look like your uncle. That means it's everybody. I seen somebody look so much like my nephew when he was here. I had to take a picture of this boy because he looked just like these Nubian boys look just like Elton. So we, we come in and I said all that to say this. What ain't happening is move your boat and then somebody don't move their boat and they fight them next thing you know it's a cheer. See, this is a different thing. In fact, there, you know what the crime rate is here in S1 among the Nubians? Zero. Yeah, I was gonna say, but you know, um, it, it really boils down to people being used to telling people what to do, and then sure. have a black figure tell you what to do, a captain, a co-captain of the Harriet, whose authority supersedes your whiteness, and you don't like it because who is this black man telling me what to do? And for right. those, if you don't think it's racial, it is, it's deeply embedded racism. It's, it's that mm -hmm. racism that is part of the fabric of America, right? So uh, everybody should know their place. Your place as a black person is to be subservient to me. So I, I'm comfortable with you if you are taking care of my children, because we're used to that. We're used to you suckling our children. We're used to you raising our children, but you don't have any authority in the house, right? Which is why your children don't behave. Uh, we're used to you wiping our, our grandparents' asses and taking care of our elderly, right? Because we're definitely not going to do that. Uh, so we're used to that. We're used to you, you know, cutting our grass and cleaning our homes. Uh, and, and even in the office place, we're used to you in, in these roles. And some of you have made it to some, some you know, higher ups, but you're not going to tell us what to do. This man well, had ultimate authority, right? I mean, he he was in charge of the docks and he was in charge of the Harriet and he was like, this is not, you're not supposed to be here. And he spent 40 minutes, 40 minutes, Dr. Carr, <laughs> cajoling them to do the thing that was legally what they were supposed to do, which was to move their damn boat. Right. They didn't like it. So you're going to put your hands on somebody. Now, right, of course. I'm not going to get into the alcohol and all of that. That might be, but you know, you got some good damn sense. You don't just... Uh, start wailing on somebody because you don't like that they told you to move the boat. And I know he did it with respect because he's been a co-captain of the Harriet. He wasn't just some dock worker, right? But it just speaks to this country. And I said, maybe we need to normalize uh, people of all hues being in a position of authority because it's clear to me that for 200 years, there's this notion that somehow you should step off the curb when we're walking. My space is more valuable than yours. So if I'm in a space, you have to move. I was in, in the sauna this morning. I was sharing with you. I come in, you know, this man is spread out and there's uh, several people in there. And yeah, you know, I don't even yeah. tell you what the man looked like. So I'm, I'm like, uh, okay, there needs to be some room made here. Cause you know, I'm very vocal. And he's like, well, there's room. I, I'm not sitting next to your feet. So you're going to get up. <laughs> I'm not sitting yeah. under your feet. I'm not sitting next to your feet. You know, you're going to try to figure out how to be a human being in this moment and, and have some consideration because it's a crowded sauna. And I don't want to be that close to you. I don't know what you got. Absolutely. So, well, well, there's enough room. So he he tried to get a little frothy. Okay. And then, and then there was another sister that came in and then he realized there could be a chair somewhere. You know, I don't know what's going to go down, but he, he got, no, he got his ass up. He, he not only moved, but then he, he was so uncomfortable with the confrontation <laughs> that somebody had the audacity to tell him that like, what you're doing is is uh, discourteous that he actually uh, stormed out, which I was more grateful. It's more room for everybody. And then I ain't got to deal with your attitude. But I no feel question. like, you know, we have been so conditioned to 
shrink ourselves in spaces when wrong is happening nobody gets checked because you know we allow for the wrong to happen because there's consequences we don't want we don't want any we don't want anyone to be upset with us do you know what i'm saying because there's usually consequences very bad consequences for black people and no i just think of emmett till and others right that's right but it feels like a new day and maybe maybe we should normalize you know again where the, you said this you told us this we're the grandparents of this earth we're the grandparents. So maybe we should uh, start to behave like the elders that we are. And when things are wrong, we should say something and not just not let, you know, people just do whatever they want so that they can learn how to, you know, live within the certain confines of being among other human beings, which Absolutely. clearly doesn't seem to be normal anymore. So no, no, I agree. Yeah. So I agree. I, I agree. I, I, and again, that there are very few stories from the United States that have made it here. People are not checking the headlines it is remarkable every and you notice know every time we travel places the we puts the united states in context the social structure we live in is filthy with race as we know and there are racial issues here i mean there are other kind of issues here but but in terms of race this ain't that we don't even have them conversations and when they we did have them because the chair of course came up in montgomery and watching the memes and laughing and talking it's very important. It's been very important for us to process that in a place where we are not reacting to whiteness, because a lot of that energy is, of course, because we live our lives in the United States of America too much as figments of the white imagination. And so, you know, France Fanon is dealing with that. What happens when you're in a moment in a place where you are oppressed and, and violence becomes a way of not only building consciousness, but kind of purging yourself of that oppressive, oppressed mentality. So it's a very important moment. I think it's intriguing that uh, the chair has become symbolic of resistance when in fact, uh, the mayor of Montgomery, I, of course we can vote, we all know that we're counting the days until he has to put that black man in jail because white people are not gonna let him make this into a moment of racial triumph. So Mayor Reed, Stephen Reed, who has a, a checkered history apparently and talking about what's happening in Montgomery, uh, at some point, you know, it's got to be a black scalp added to the white scalps because this can't just be about race, as we know. And we can expect that. And that's why people are talking about bail funds and things like that and making sure this brother is okay. Uh, and when Brother Pickett did what he did, we all know he was righteous in what he did. Now, I think what is interesting as well about this is the hope. The hope that this is a moment of solidarity, that this is a new day. And I would say not only is it not a new day, this is where we have to be serious. And we have to be serious about this. The catharsis is great. It's fun. We feel good. We forget that the only difference between what happened in Montgomery and what has been happening in Alabama and all over the United States, in terms, particularly in the South, in terms of resistance to white supremacy, the only difference is that this one was caught on tape. Many asses have been whipped in the South by, by black people. In fact, we were laughing about it the other night. We were in session and I said, you know, that's why half the Negroes in here from Detroit and Buffalo and LA and Oakland and Portland, Oregon and Chicago. That's how y'all ended up there. My The legend in my family is that my mother's grandfather bit a white man's nose off and that's how the Detroit branch of our family had to start. We have been, I don't like these narratives like we, we've had enough. We've been, we had enough since the first hands was put I mean, on us and those are black hands. Please say, so, so now it becomes really nefarious that the narrative around blackness has always kind of been this docile yes. up off the curb. No so, so who's controlling the narrative, Dr. Come on. Who is the one that is, you know, because if we're not mouth to ear because we're, we have somehow forgotten community, which also I think is part of the plan of the projects, 
and all the other things that yes. have happened, right? Because now we don't have multi-generations living among one another as my mother and grandmother grew up in, as your mother and, and grandmother grew up in and grandfather. You know, who's telling this narrative, right? And, yes. and all of the black on black crime and all of the, you know, the, these things, I mean, even, even as you look at your group, because I get to see things and you get to see things because we're in community, right? So you're, yes. out, you're in Africa with 200 plus people we're about to be in South Carolina with 200 plus people. Every place we go, you know, yes. whether it's Food Just Friday Live with 300 plus people, the, the venue's like, I've never seen a crowd like this. Well, because <laughs> now we're convening the crowd that is actually the norm. The That's exception right. is what they keep pushing. The exception is what they're pushing on us. That's right. They're That's forcing right. it, you know, they're force feeding us the exception and then we accept it, which is why I say we got to check all of this. We got to check That's it all. Right. So that's exactly right. Talk, talk about talk about that. I mean, you know, you just because I think we forget and then we parrot the narrative because, yes. you know, we want to be the exceptional Negro, I guess. That, that's well, exactly right. That's exactly right. And we, and we forget. We, we well, Let me not say we forget. We have to be careful. Right. Because we have to build the we. Yes. Yes. But, but this this is something that's very important. We, there has never been a time when we haven't resisted. And I'm not talking about the big, and I'm loving the chat. I have pulled up the app, of course, people talking about Stono Rebellion, that Turner, all that's very true. But I'm talking about the intimacy of day to day. When you read the narratives of enslaved Africans, which cannot be relied upon as the full opinion of black people. When you read the Works Progress Administration's narratives collected in the 1930s, uh, when you read Ophelia uh, Settle, Ophelia Egypt Settle. Again, shout out to the sisters named Egypt. Ophelia Egypt Settle, Cleopatra Davenport T uh, uh, Thompson out of Mississippi with the Mississippi educators. I'm just thinking about the, the impact of Egypt, Egypt, Mississippi. But when you, when you read the transcripts of the narratives of African people, that last generation who suffered enslavement in the United States, and they're talking in the 1930s, these people, you see, I mean, when you read John Blassingame's book, Slave Testimony, when you read the book, Bullwhip Days, when you look at the WPA narratives, George Rawick, the American slave, these volumes broken down by state, you will see moment after moment of resistance. You know, uh, women, uh, women called upon to fan old white women in their beds and as they draw their last breaths and making them comfortable. And as soon as everybody's out, they take that fan and beat the hell out of that woman's face for all the years they had to suffer. And the people that spit in the food, the people that grind up the glass in the food. This chair is part of an unbroken genealogy of resistance, of governance resistance, of maroonish. And white people absolutely knew who they could mess with and who they couldn't. Charlie Cobb's brilliant book, Charlie Cobb's book, we talked about many times, my friend Charlie Cobb's brilliant book, uh, That Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed. My man, Baba A.K., Akinyele Omoja's book, We Will Shoot Back. That, that, in fact, we were laughing about it the other night. I'm sitting there with these brothers, one brother who actually is from Montgomery, brother who lives in Montgomery today. We're talking about this in the, in the politics of the mayor's office, the politics of Black people in Montgomery, what they think will and won't happen. Another brother from North Carolina who lives in North Carolina, another brother from New Orleans. We're sitting around. These are Black men, by the way. What a beautiful thing to be at dinner with a bunch of brothers talking about what it means to be a grandfather of teenage boys, what it means to be an uncle, what it means to be a father. I mean, talking about what it means to be a son. These are black men sitting in the Nile Valley, eating mangoes and, and drinking carcadet or sorrel, as the, as the uh, Caribbean folk will call it, or uh, hibiscus tea. Some of them got Baba, uh, uh, got uh, Dr. Amon's tea with them, you know, all through the Nile Valley, sitting around talking about this. And, in the, and we talk about this in this context. 
this whole notion that we didn't resist is absurd. We've been resisting. And we talked about what it means in a moment like this to think about the nature of how white people have dealt with black resistance. In the South, you know, this, you don't know how they deal with black resistance. It ain't what you see in the movies. Yeah, that's a dimension of it. They get the posse and the Klan gang and they scaring people. But here's another dimension of it. Read Charlie Cobb's book. Charlie Cobb said, there's a brother, we laughed about it. There's a brother who came in to the courtroom, had his gun. And the judge is like, you got you got to take that gun out of here. And the brother said, I'll take my gun out when he take, I'll, put my, I'll take my gun out when he takes his gun out. Pointing at the sheriff. What did the judge do? The judge told the sheriff, take your gun off. And the gun and the sheriff took his gun off and the brother took his gun off, put him on the table and they continued business. The point is this, these white boys knew who they could mess with not. And then the brother told the story from, we were talking and he said, yeah, that reminds me of that story in that book where the white boy said, it ain't but two people in this county I'm afraid of. One is the sheriff, this is a white man, and the other is, and he named the brother in Mississippi. He, everybody had the strap. I'll never forget an elder telling me one time, we were talking about Mississippi Valley. The, the HBCU and it, it had been a Mississippi where Jerry Rice went to school and uh, and the best quarterback to ever throw to him, the great Willie Satellite Titan, something I know about HBCU football but the point is, forget Joe Montana, Montana but we were talking and the elder was like, yeah, when our kids would leave Valley and come at home, wherever little town they were from Mississippi, we knew where they were the whole time and we knew the white boys wouldn't mess with them, why? Because we had guns at every stage between Itabena and where they from and when they would pull up in the driveway or they would get off the bus, they weren't going to be harmed. Why? Because black people had the strap. Now, you watch the documentaries and you hear the Yeah, you think we sitting there all waiting to get ass whoopings. Oh, no. We gave them out and some of them were exquisite. People got slapped. <laughs> you had to get off the sidewalk. Really? You told Big Charles to get off the sidewalk? No, we just pretended Big Charles didn't exist. See, this is how the narrative of the social structure works. When you can't defeat it, you pretend it doesn't exist. We had that conversation the other night too, because all these cats is watching in class. Many of them are in narrative and Nubia. And to be in the Nile Valley, where we are talking about violence, state violence, we're talking about black on black state violence. I told you, we were at Abu Simbel. We were at Abu Simbel the other day, maybe 15, 20 miles from the Sudan border, looking at the temple that Ramses II, who was the Pharaoh in Kemet for 67 years who built more temples and everywhere and statues and all that. The, 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 the temple that Abu Simbel is one of four temples dedicated to different Neturu. I mean, this is one with Amun-Ra and you got Ra-Horakti, you got Ptah, you've got um, the divine uh, expression that Ramses saw of himself. I won't even get into the architecture of that. We'll talk about that another day. But the point is this, Kemet in that new kingdom period expanded. We're talking about 3,500 years ago. But they expanded so broadly that in some ways they invited the kind of disruption of the society. It's a metaphor for what happens in the United States or any empire. Once you go beyond your borders with violence and you choose violence, you can invite into your country dissension and tension. Well, what we're seeing at this moment in U.S. history is not only predictable, it's the only thing that happens to empires. And so these brothers having a conversation about violence in Montgomery in the context of how violence has been used in the Nile Valley in antiquity and how it led to dissension. That 19th dynasty is the dynasty of Ramses. The 19th dynasty follows the 18th dynasty, which is also a dynasty of expansion, but it's a different kind of rhythm in some ways. Amenhotep III and T. 
uh, Akhenaten, who has his own very interesting ideas about ways of knowing and governance, uh, his son, Tutankhamun, and then following him, the military buildup that comes after that. Is Tutankhamun killed? Probably. He's killed, but there's a military, almost like a slow moving military, well, quick moving military coup in the 18th dynasty. After King Tut, so to speak, King Tut doesn't make any sense. Tutankhamun comes I, A Y, Horemheb, who comes after him. These pharaohs are military guys. And then you empty into the 19th dynasty. Ramses I, military man. Seti I, who comes after him, who is a military guy. Seti I's son, Ramses II. Now they are also deeply comedic, which means they've got the ways of knowing, they understand the use of my eye. In fact, I found a fascinating book on Seti the First in mind. I won't even pull it. I got to talk about a booties. Remind me of a booties bookstore in Luxor. I got a chance to spend time with the grandson of the founder, but it's a whole nother fascinating story. These bookstores in, in Egypt are very important. And I should add here, I hope that I will be, I'm sure he's, he's supposed to be coming tonight, the owner of Obelisk Bookstore, the unfinished Obelisk of Hatshepsut, which is one of the sites we visited, uh, Baba Iman. Uh, Baba Imam, he, he wasn't there. He was in Cairo. His daughter is getting engaged. And so he was out of town. But he but he heard from his man who was there. We bought so many books at the Obelisk bookstore, <laughs> at the Unfinished Obelisk, that it made it, it made the tour late by like two hours because the oh, dude only had one cash register. And we bought so many books out of it. Seeing all these black people packed in there, by the way, uh, Sister Freedom Cartwright, uh, you know her, uh, 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 Professor Hunter, of course, healthy, wealthy, and wise, Nubian yes. uh, teacher, Martha's Vineyard. She bought so many books. Wait, she's now, there too? Yeah, Freedom is here. No question. Oh, <laughs> Freedom is here. So th these sisters, and I loved it, these Freedom and these other sisters, about maybe a half dozen of them, these are Black women standing in the back of this bookstore in the children's section, cleaning out the section on ancient Egypt, getting ready for back to school. And so Freedom standing with this pile of books, and she said, I got to bring all these books back to set up my, my corner, my reading corner for this uh, this this coming school year because you know school has already started in Atlanta and some other places school school is starting shortly but the reason I bring it up in this context and I'm just putting it as a footnote is I say okay hold on hold on let me take your picture why because I'm gonna take this picture and send it to you so you can put it in the room with the books so that as you tell the children where these books coming from they can see you standing in the place where you bought the books because some child's gonna never be satisfied in her life until she gets to Kemet to stand in this bookstore I mean this is what we're doing we're building look, Look, DeSantis, Florida, AP, class, college board, all that is very nice. And as you talk about that, Patty's curriculum boards, you are getting on pla platforms and, and you're talking. Because the black women gathered in the back of an Egyptian bookstore owned by a newbie and bought out the bar of Chuck books to bring back. So while you arguing over a line in a curriculum that nobody reads, and we laughed about that too, we're over here with teachers who are deliberating on what the best materials are to take back to the classrooms that you will never visit. So while all my friends write think pieces in the New York Times and get on MSNBC and argue about language and who got excluded and who got included, the real educators are actually building educational formations and a governance formation. Now, back to the footnote, as I was saying, we're talking about this context. These brothers talking about this violence in my government. In the context of Egyptian violence, because we're not romanticizing. We can't romanticize it anyway, because that would evoke Rome. We're not romanticizing comedic history. We're here to study to learn from the mistakes. You don't build a pyramid perfectly the first time. We stand in front of pyramids, we're, look, we're looking at failure. That's what we're studying. We're not just studying achievement, we're studying failure. Because in order to do that right, you must have done it wrong so many times that you've eliminated the ways to do it wrong. This is the genius, and this is why time is required to do the deeper work. So as we're having this conversation, these brothers, including the brother who lives in Montgomery, expresses this concern. 
in this catharsis moment, in all this evocation and these memes, ultimately, as we have seen this moment of triumph, how can we use this to do two things? Number one, connect to all the moments of triumph we have had, because we've always resisted. That's important. And which means we have to change the narrative. That's what we're doing in the words of Black Thought. It's imperative. We change the narrative. But also, more importantly, in some ways, well, I want to say more importantly, because this is the path to get to that. We have to then continue to construct a we that does not rely on responses to white violence for our existence. Because the thing that I find disturbing about this moment is that in this celebration of us, the I love us and this is what we do, we need to hear more conversation about who that we is. Because so many of us, this is the F around and find out moment. The whole idea of black violence and resistance, righteous indignation and resistance is very important. But you don't build a pyramid that way. You don't sustain a society over 3000 years that way. The violence is necessary at moments, but what the Egyptians discovered was, to their chagrin, because after the, the, the Ramses had dozens of sons, dozens of children, sons and daughters, but by the end of the Ramesseid period, which is really the 20th dynasty after Ramesses II is gone, then you see Ramesses III. Ramesses III, the seeds for the destruction of that Ramesseid period, period in Kemet are born in, in fact, there's a book by Redford on what's called the harem conspiracy. Ramses II, who ruled for 67 years, his son, Ramses III, they plotted to overthrow him and replace him with one of his sons. Who plotted to overthrow him? His wife, many of the junior wives who were in the palace, officials in his government, and ultimately, the he's able to sniff this out there's prosecution some people are put to death there's all kind of things but the bottom line is this the instability that was laid in the empire era of ramses for all of its brilliance is followed by periods where the people in the nile valley increasingly began to ignore the pharaoh ignore the federal government ignore the central government what's the and by the end of the 20th dynasty which is like ramses the 11th Kemet is now entering a period where invaders will be able to invade the Nile Valley and create in uh, create instability, the third intermediate period. And it requires the Nubians to come from where we are, actually farther south from this. And this is Pianki, this is Shabaka, this is Taharka, who are in the Sudan, Nubia, to come back down that Nile and restore order in the 25th dynasty. Now we're talking about, roughly speaking, maybe 2,700 years ago. We went to, we're going to the... Um, to the Nubian Museum to see Shabaka, Pianki, and Taharka and talk about that. But I'm bringing all this up in this context. Let's come to the United States of America. The United States of America is a criminal enterprise and it's a settler colony. And it, unlike Egypt, it was not built on respecting people's rights. It was not built on respecting people's cultures. See, what sustained ancient Egypt was, it was a federation of gnomes, Sepet is the word in, in Medinetra, states we would call today. But each of those regions were anchored in the culture and ways of knowing and meaning making and moving the memory of the people who lived there, the indigenous people. And so when you knit all that together over centuries, as they did beginning in roughly speaking the fourth millennium BCE, 
you begin to say, okay, this is going to be the central administration, but everybody gets to keep who they are and you pour into a great civic project that is anchored around agriculture. And when you can't farm, we put you to work on civic projects, pyramids, tombs, temples. You build, develop your skills. We went to a place that is so beautiful to me. It's called Set Ma'at. The Arabs call it Dira Medina. This is a town that consisted of nothing but the people who built the temples, who built and carved the tombs, who painted the metanature. These are the people, the regular working people. We went into two beautiful tombs dedicated to supervisors in that region of Set Ma'at. And you stand there with the wind blowing early in the morning. You see the little houses the people had where they had their names and their occupations all working on these tombs, all put together. They worked for the state. They were honored in the state. Those who read and write, those are scholars, those were skilled work people. And they are in this state. Women in ancient Egypt had the rights men had own property, sue, make contracts. You know, you know, Susan B. Anthony, I know that you're important in the United States of America, but you stay your scrawny behind in this social structure and get away from us. You have nothing to teach us except about how racist white people can be. Believe me, I walked through that the other day. We don't need any lessons on gender from you. We need no lessons on women's rights from you. Your Western society has nothing to teach us except how to make mistakes if we listen to what y'all say as our point of departure. We are sitting in a place where this was not the priority. I'm saying I'll just say this, compared to the United States of America, what happened in Montgomery, Alabama is just, again, reinforcing the fact that this is not a nation called you. The United States is not a nation. Kemet was a nation in part because it had a common culture, but it also had a way of embracing people's cultures as part of a common culture, but also as distinct. This is very important. You can't understand the way that the people of Kemet thought about what they call Netchers, whether it be Amun-Ra, whether it be Kunun, whether it be Sekhmet, whether it be any of those names. You can't understand it if you look at them as religious expressions only. These are also political expressions of the way people thought about themselves in relation to where they were from. So if you come to the United States of America, there's also this fierce state-level nationalism as your friend, you know, brother who, you know, I admire, respect a lot, and, you know, chop it up with him those few times I got a chance to speak with him, graduate of Florida AM. I don't hold that against him as a Tennessee State Tiger, but as Warren Wood Jr. said in his latest special, you know, black folk ain't talking about America. They talk about the places in America where black people have fun. <laughs> so when he said, I explained James Brown living in America, he's going to name the cities, right? And then when you hear California love, you're going to hear Tupac and Dre name the cities. Everybody shout out their cities. They ain't talking about the United States of America. But what this moment shows us is that Black folk in the United States have a governance sensibility. That's the upper to find out. That's the, we're going to take your, uh, try that in a small town and apply it to this. That's the billion different memes and videos and soundtracks. That, all of that's coming from a governance sensibility, but it's not a mature governance way of moving through the world. And the gap between a sensibility and putting that sensibility into action can only be filled by time, significant study, and organizing come out of deliberate dialogue. So we're halfway around the world, not because we're just doing some interesting history study. This is the failure of my colleagues and friends who think that somehow we're romanticizing things. You have to turn the volume down now and perhaps come with us sometime. But what you're not going to do is dictate what we're doing because you don't have any idea. I know you love your master and they give you some degrees and give you a little award here and there. It's very important. And I, I feel sorry for you. But, but you know, you, there's always redemption. You can always come home. What this is, is an attempt to understand what it takes to build a weed. Kemet is a valuable lesson.
if Kemet had been unbroken till today, maybe it's China, maybe not, because even there's a different sensibility. The accidental, and by accidental, I mean not an accidental, the incidental, the incidental impact of Kemet, in other words, the power of Kemet is so powerful that when we do this, we had people, this young brother who graduated from Clark Atlanta University, he's standing in the Egyptian Museum. He's like, whoa, when you see Wasir like this and you see Akhenaten like this, you say, okay, you understand Wakanda forever. You know where they came from, right? Yeah, we know We know that Bost in the, in the comic books comes from the Egyptians. They write that in the comic book. But now you see that that's just the residue of Kemet. The architecture, everything we talked about, the idea of Egypt, we talked about it a little bit last time, and I'm not going to do it again today, but I want to mention this in the context of what's going on in Montgomery. The governance sensibility is essential. You can't get anywhere without it. This is the catharsis of making these videos and laughing and saying, yeah, y'all mess around. But you then have to have that continue to spark a deepening of a we that can be converted to political power. If we're going to make all these chair videos and not be ready to devote, if we're going to make all these chair videos and not understand that there are enough Black people in Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Louisiana, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, to literally restructure the governments of all the little towns, all the cities for sure, and with enough muscle and organization, transform the state political apparatus, then I don't want to see no chair videos. Because what it does is reinforce in my mind the idea that the American Negro is conceptually murked. We are trapped. We are trapped. You're going to make a chair video and then tomorrow not know who your congressperson is. You're going to make a chair video and tomorrow rail against the system and, and somebody asks you, what have you done to organize? You say, I don't know, but I did stay up all night making this crazy TikTok video about this chair. What that does is ultimately has a diminishing effect, a diminishing effect on our sense of self-value. Yes, and then we also pass off the responsibility that we have as individuals to build that we on heroic individuals like Aquaman. You know, Mike, Mike Harriet, his wife, her sisters are here. We had a long conversation. We know that Black AF history is coming out. We're excited about that. We're talking about that. Where are we talking about it? We ain't talking about it in New York or South Carolina. We're talking about it on the, on the boat, on the way over to the mainland. This, and then what does it mean to talk about ourselves not as a minority, not as a reactive group, but to ask ourselves, as we're watching what happened in Montgomery, what we are watching, and tied to something other than responding to white, responding to whiteness, why are they videoing that problem in the first place? In other words, Black people know when something about to pop off. That video didn't start with the fight. They are they are on that boat. That's right. Watching it. Yeah. Looking. Come on now. Come on, Prof. Yes. We have to be serious now. Let's be serious. It's all fun and games, but let's be serious. Black people keep our heads on a swivel. Do you know what it means to be in a moment, in a place where you don't have to have your head on a swivel? This young boy saying, uh, um, who is with us, young brother, preschooler, brilliant young brother. His name is Sankara. He's named for Thomas Sankara. Sankara been with us every step of the way. He's on my bus. He's been asking so he's many four questions. Years old. He's four years old, Dr. Carr. Yes, ma'am. Brilliant young brother. He's four. 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 Asking Abdul so many questions. Finally, Abdul, you the guy, brother. You, I mean, but it, but, he, but it's not a joke. This young boy, he asked Larry Crow the other night, how do, how do, how do people become gods? 
because he's been spending his time looking at all these texts on the wall, all the men that you we tell me, how do people guys? You know what Crow told him? It was profound. The question was profound. Oh, the question was profound. Crow said, it takes time. When you have time, because the ancient Egyptians did not live in a society of scarcity. See, the societies of Europe societies of scarcity. So the cultures are worthless when it comes to thinking about abundance. Everything from the fairy tales to tell you to be scared of old folks to stay out the woods and for, from the plot and nursery rhymes like, you know, kill the king for all, all of that stuff from the you can't do nothing as a woman depending on a man, Snow White, Cinderella. Uh, you know, the point is this. All of the culture of Europe is built on scarcity because you're living in a place where starvation is a possibility. When you're on the Nile Valley, this is what you got to do. The Nile floods, you throw the seeds out. It grows, you harvest it. And then in the in the three in the in the four months where you can't do anything, you work on the common projects, which is the pyramids, tombs, and temples, and the state gives you a wage and you develop your skills. Then the Nile floods, you throw out the seeds, you bust your ass, harvest and then, and then now this receded. What do you do now? You go back to work on the pyramids. They didn't work on the pyramids 12 months a year, they worked on it three months a year. No, four months a year, three seasons, 12 months, 10 week, uh, 10 days a week three weeks, 360 days. And then the calendar was set up so that those five days at the end become festival days. And after you've gone through that cycle enough to have 360 days, you have a leap year. Stop playing with the Africans. Do you understand the time it takes to understand that that's how the moon and the sun go through the phases and the earth rotates around the sun? You have to do that several times just to figure out that that's the rhythm. In other words, patience and time. Sakar said, how do we become gods to Larry? After you made his presentation, he said, it takes time. When you live in a place of abundance, you have time to think. And when you have time to think, you have time to create. And what we're seeing in Kemet is a fraction of what they created with time. Your belly is full. Your family is secure. You can sit and look at the stars and say, you know, them three stars, okay, them stars over in the north corner, those stars don't move. They're circumpolar stars. This is very, what, what? Wait, well, I'm going to be dead, but my great, 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 granddaughter will see that come around again. You see, okay, let's do something. You know, we should line up something down here to mark this. Khufu, Khafre, and Menkare, the three pyramids, and the Hor and Aket, horse of the horizon known as the Sphinx, are lined up with those stars. The, what they call the, the imperishable stars. This is the season of Sophus, what the Greeks call Sophus, Sirius. So pet, the dog star, they call it dog days for a reason. But the, the, the Romans are listening to an echo. The Africans observe that. Why do I say all that? When you have time, you are developing your creative intelligence to a degree, your human potential to a degree that future generations will look at you as almost impossible. That's how Imhotep, who designed the step pyramid, became a god. The young boy asked a question, the elder answered the question, a god is a concept, it takes time and it takes the ability to have time to think. When you have time to think, you can do that. I'm going to tell you what's not time to think. Reaction time. Mm. White boys kicking you in the gut. You sweat. You throw your hat up in the air. You fight. Now here come somebody, somebody swimming. Here come all the brothers going to beat somebody ass. Here come the sister to say, I know y'all don't want to put your hands on a white girl, but I'll be very happy to do it. Here comes the brother, Here come the cat with the chair. You know what all that is? That's reaction time, not time to think. Because guess what? The Montgomery bus boycott was reaction too. But the reaction was developed with time to think. What do we need? Well, we got segregation, we need taxis, black taxi service. All them people wouldn't walk into work. 
Well, what else we need? We need time to develop ways of knowing. Okay, now you got churches. Why? So they can have meetings at the churches because white people didn't own the buildings. The but how did they stay off the buses for a year? Because they had institutions that were developed behind the cotton curtain during Jim and Jane Crow, where they had time to think. And when people have time to think, they build institutions. The bus boycott couldn't happen today. Why? What institutions do we have that could sustain a boycott? I ain't talking about rich Negroes. I ain't talking about 15 Negroes who got $50 million a piece and will donate money. No. What you going to do? What institution you got? We got to rebuild our institutions. And it doesn't start with going just to the 19th century, just to the 1950s and 60s or 70s. It starts with going to the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, BCE. And tying that as Aya Nelly did the other day when we were standing, in fact, this today at the Tombs and Knowles, and they were talking about family and how, uh, no, last night, talking about descent, descent through the mother's line. And she compared her upbringing in Nigeria to what the Egyptians were doing 2,000 years, no, 2,000, 3,500 years before that. And we started thinking about comparative family. When Bob Abdul said, when a Nubian gets sick and goes to the hospital, the doctors hate it. Why, Professor Hunter, do you think the doctors hate when a Nubian person is admitted to a hospital overnight? Because when that person goes in the hospital, who comes to visit them? The whole family. As the roots would say, everybody, every body. <laughs> they hate when the Nubians get sick. The black folk, I know you only let two visitors, but my auntie came down from Detroit. Yes. And they, you know, they hate when the Nubians get sick because all the Nubians come to the hospital, just like all the Nubians came out the village and took Dr. Ben people off that bus, which is why we have to go to the village every year. We don't let any of us go down. Oh, they fighting that dude over there. Let's all go beat that ass. But that's a reaction. It reveals the potentiality of a we. It reveals the, the governance sensibility. But if we only then pour that into having joy and a catharsis in the moment, we have not regained the momentum of memory, even in a city in a city where we use our institutions to combat white supremacy. We do not exist to combat white supremacy. All my friends who do anti-racist work, and I, mean, I ain't trying to say the soul of America doesn't have a soul, it's not country. What I'm trying to do is reveal, not reveal, that's not what I'm trying to do. That's a, that's a, what I'm trying to do is- Remind? Us, well, no, remind, remind for sure. Again, one of my favorite shirts in the, in the broad and growing family of Nubia gear, is Nubia the renewed normal. It's not the new, no, it's, this is a reminder. This is a reminder. When, now, and with this, when we think about, and again, we're, we're winding up now, we got a few more days. Uh, like I said, most people are probably over hanging with the Nubia. First time I came here in 96, they came looking for me because I had gone over on the boat and I'm in the bazaar and I'm sitting in the back in, in one of the stalls with your brothers, they didn't pour me hot tea because that's what they do. You know, they don't drink, <laughs> they don't drink cool drinks. They drink hot drinks because, <laughs> you know, it helps to regulate the temperature of the body. Hold on, let me make sure my computer doesn't go down here. Um, and so, you know, I'm drinking hibiscus tea and I'm drinking hot mint tea. And they saying, now you going to have stomach problems. No, they boil that tea. And if I do, I do. But we were in there talking about George Bush and right? it was hilarious. We were having this conversation. But my point is this. They're over there building community right now. 
But when we think about this, the, the two things come to mind. In that language that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, in that Florida curriculum that nobody's going to use. Come on, y'all. All the teachers here, we've been laughing about this stuff. When we get together, it's just really something. But in it, the whole people battling over this language, Black people use these for their develop their skills. And we talked about that. I would encourage folks to go back and look at that conversation. What we what we what I was saying the other night as I was talking was, what it reveals is people said black people slavery helped them develop skills. No, it didn't. Slavery didn't. and then they started going black people brought skills with them. Oh, really? Okay. So I'm saying keep going. Momentum, 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 because that indignity is revealing the fact that you are not an American. I don't mean that you don't live in the United States, that you don't have a passport. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is you don't have a sensibility to these people's sensibility. And then it pissed you off to the point where you are willing to say out loud something that you wouldn't even admit to yourself, which is what you have no investment in this. Oh, you're telling me that we had skills. Slavery wasn't y'all even, and we had skills when we came here. Oh, so now you're finally going to get close to the breakthrough wall you need to get through. Because George Washington is not your dad. And I know you love John Quincy Adams and talking about research and about Sally Hemmings and, and Thomas Jefferson, but y'all gonna you go into you spend a thousand dollars, go see Hamilton, but you just then pissed you off to the point where you're almost ready to break through that funky social structure wall and recover the momentum of your memory and remember that you never stopped exercising your ways of knowing or cultural meaning making. We riding through the desert, Professor Hunter, yesterday on the way back. On the way back. And my man Stacy from Texas has a speaker on on the uh, on the bus, and it goes throughout the whole bus. And Abdul has been converted to Black American music, so we <laughs> riding through. <laughs> Every time he finished, that, he said music, and they put on the music. Stacy didn't play James Brown. He didn't play George Clinton, Gil Scott Heron, and he puts on as we riding through the desert, the hot ass desert coming back from Abu Simbel. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Yeah, the Osley Brothers version. <laughs> so we were summer breeze. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is the genius. Gil Scott here in 95 South, all of the places we've been. Yeah, the chair is cool. The chair got you fired up. You made some memes. But guess what? I saw a sister say, dear Nat Turner. Wait a minute. No, don't call Nat Turner's name. Because Nat Turner had more than the chair. Will the executioner had an axe. And be very clear that if you're going to fight these people, you have to fight these people. A meme ain't going to do it. A TikTok ain't going to do it. And guess what? Even if you win that fight, that's when the fight starts. Because fighting ain't the center of human identity. Come on. You got to build something. You don't build a pyramid by swinging chairs. You can't even build a pyramid by stacking chairs. You build a pyramid by after you've eaten. You look at the stars for a thousand years, you stack some rocks, you make some mistakes, and a thousand years after that, you build something that has been here for damn near 5,000 years and is still standing when many skyscrapers going to be gone. It takes time to become God. It takes time to develop that God out of you, and you can't get there by reacting. Reacting is get you at a moment, but if all you're doing is reacting, guess what? The brawl in Montgomery, you know who's going to make the money out of it? Maybe a fashion house in Europe as a black lady walks down swinging a chair. But I don't know who owned that fashion walkway, who's going to make the money. When the chairs start to show up and the chair line shows up in Macy's or Versace, or they introduce a chair down the catwalk in Fashion Week in New York or Paris, that's when you find out that that's where this ends up if you ain't built nothing. And you will celebrate it if you don't know better. <laughs> and let the church say, Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. I don't even want to say any. I just need us to just uh, sit with that. The maturity that you talk about, you know, the catharsis that leads to nothing but good feelings. And then you write back to where you were because you have to go, oh, I love this. I'm going to go back and watch this probably several dozen times because (laughs) that last little bit, man. Listen, you got me. You got me taking notes. <laughs> I got oh, notes here, and <laughs> because it's all on. we do in Nubia's build, right? I see Michael That's Harriet's it. in the chat as well. You know, my man, so. Mike. Hey, Mike. We're gonna make sure your sister in laws and your wife. Look, we good. We are having a ball, bruh. We love you. <laughs> yes. You know, but that's part of it too. You know, it's the gathering of those folk who have been dispersed, right? And right. out there, the Kierna Mayos who's doing her thing and the Kevin Powell's and the folk that, you know, yes. have been in their silos. It's like bringing everybody in to the fold. Like, what can we build together? There's too many dynamic people and people without names. But this, <laughs> when you talk about the time though, all of these people put in time. And they yes. may not be household names, but they have substance. And it's just, you don't build with, with bricks that don't have enough straw, right, Dr. Carmen? I mean, the bricks have to be whole, which is what we talk about. The bricks have to be whole. It's not just about sitting for the thousand years and, and planning. But when you come to put a brick, the brick has to hold up over the next 5,000 years. Well, brick well, has let, to hold up. Let, let me mention this quickly. Don't go anywhere just very quickly because there's a lot of mud brick. We've seen a lot of mud brick. We were in the desert looking at one of the oldest pieces between here and Abu Simbel. Mud brick is very important, very functional. People still use mud brick in some ways, but the, the temples were not built of mud brick. That's how we know there weren't any Hebrews in our valley, but that's a story for another day. I don't want to scare nobody. Jeremiah Wright could walk out through that, but he would very happily, he would do. But granite. Okay, I was going to say, what were they made of? Please break it down again. What? Yeah, gra- granite, limestone. These are the hard, uh, the hard stone. We were at the quarry where Hatshepsut, Hatshepsut is a beast. We were, when we were standing in uh, Luxor at Waset, at Thebes at Waset, at her obelisks, one has fallen, they had an earthquake a thousand years ago, but two of them are still there. These huge obelisks with Metanetra and Mary Kyrie, I mean, Hatshepsut, the, the pharaoh. By the way, don't say female pharaoh. pro means the great house. It is not gendered. Angie Porter gave a brilliant a discussion of that the other night about leadership. In fact, stop saying queen and queen. Say ruler if you must say a word. Because again, gendering all this language becomes very problematic. But anyway, Hatshepsut ordered them to, to carve out of this granite here in Aswan. Aswan is the home of a lot of stuff. The, the sandstone here, which is kind of fragile, but also the granite, which is all over the Nile Valley. She says, you know, I want the biggest Tekken, Tekken Metanetra word for obelisk. The Washington Monument is not an obelisk. It's a bunch of bricks stacked up in the shape of an obelisk. An obelisk is cut out of a single piece of stone. Why do I raise this? As they are working on this, they have this huge obelisk that they are literally carving out with wood. They pour the wood, you know, and they pour, they pour water on the wood. They expand the wood. It begins to crack open the stone so they can then work. Then they take the, the hard stone and they start pounding them. And they got it carved out. They got it smooth to the sides. They got the tip there. The point is going down. And then they notice and discover a crack in the middle of the stone. There's a crack there. An obelisk is made of a single piece of stone. What do they have to do? Let's start again. 
the site we went to where we bought all the books is a bookstore outside of something called the unfinished obelisk what is the lesson of the unfinished obelisk can you imagine the day the workmen came in and kept going and then said hey man is that oh shit, it's not we've been on here six months man is that a crack is that a crack so you see the whole obelisk is like sitting there two-thirds of the way formed and you see the crack and you see how the crack spread so what do you do you take a deep breath release a few swear words call your favorite nature for help take a nap get up get your tools and start carving another obelisk that's what you do the point is this though it's not mud brick you live in a mud brick house but 3,000 years later, the ones you did finish are still standing. The lesson from the unfinished obelisk is when you make a mistake or when nature intervenes or when a crack in the stone is on the inside, it's not there till it vibrates and you didn't realize, if you let that defeat you, you haven't learned the lesson of excellence, the, the, the lesson of potential. That's why I love how Pearl Clay put it, one of your you know fellow writers and well-known, uh, the daughter of Albert Clay, you know, Shrine of the Black Madonna, Pearl Clay said, you know, when I'm writing, when it's time for me to stop for the day, I always write the next thing I'm going to start with. I don't stop at the end of the, the line. I then take the line. Why? Because I've set my marker down for the next day. When they when that obelisk broke, man, them cats was like, damn. All right, let's plan the next. Don't let that thing stop you that night because it just festers. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Right. And they didn't try to cover it up. No. They didn't try to. You know, because this society would have slapped some spackle on it. No question. Kept going. And was like, well, somebody else, you know, 100 years, maybe they'll discover it. We'll be gone. Like the commitment to excellence today. That's right. You know, we don't have that. We we don't it's show what, we have it. We what, have, you, know, you know what we have? Not. What do we have, Dr. Carr? I'm saying what we you know we have. We have Karen Hunter, whose father would not let her miss that corner of sweeping. In other words, what we don't have is we haven't noticed what we kept. Because we all had parents who say, uh uh, you did what? Uh uh, let me come in here. Uh, yes, boy, yes. That, that sheet is not, <laughs> it's the unfinished. <laughs> so we had it. We just got to yes. remember. Okay. <laughs> Who's doing that though? Who's doing the baseboards? Who's waking kids up at seven o'clock and o'clock? Like, you know, from the last generation of people that had their ass whooped for not for missing the dust in the corner. Professor Hunter, did you not a month ago have a whole question about what was the work song in your house? It's yeah. still there. <laughs> okay, I hope so. Uh, and if it's not, uh, hello, y'all raising children. Bring it back. I'm not minus the ass whooping, but there should be consequences and repercussions. No for, question for not wiping the chrome in the bathroom. I'm just Come saying on. with the Come paper on. towel to make sure it's sparkling, even if you're gonna brush your teeth an hour later. Come because on. those are you're you're so right. You know, our parents were genius. <laughs> yes, yes, you know, because I'm like, I'm just gonna turn the water on again. <laughs> who who cares about water spots? No. Paper towel, make sure it's spotless. Miss spotless. Back an hour later and put more water on it. Man. It's the same. It, the, that, that attitude is the same way of knowing that built the pyramids. And the way we help our children understand it is we take them and stand them in front of the pyramid and tell them the story that you just told. And they, I told you, the greatest STEM curriculum in the world for African people is coming to keep Egypt and trying to figure out how did y'all get this rock from... 3,000 miles down here to this place. Because everywhere you go in the Nile Valley, it's some granite in the building. 
But the granite is down here. We are almost as far away from Cairo as you can get without being in the Sudan. And they still trying to figure out how these Negroes got all this heavy rock down the Nile River in perfection. It's the same story. It's the same sensibility that said, no, wipe that corn. I know we're going to use, no. No, it isn't the destination. It's the practice. The journey. This one, it's the journey. It's the journey, Prof. This is the excellence. And I'm borrowing <laughs> that from an episode of Swagger. So I just want to. Uh, Ain't nobody mad. You ready to rock to, 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 to Mr. Uh, by the Wood. Uh, so yes. Reggie, by, right, Reggie Rock by the Wood. Um, this has been, and again, I, I feel like I got to sit with this for another couple of hours, but this has been amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing all of the transformation through what's being shared in Nubia, uh, throughout, you know, there's a whole group there, but focus sharing in all of the places that they are in Nubia uh, on the app. And it's, you know, I'm sitting there every day, like, damn, you know, (laughs) we're here. It ain't going nowhere. No, I know. I know. And and you just evoke something else. I'm like, what else can we do there? Oh, oh, so much. Yeah. In fact, let me let me mention. I did want to mention my yeah. man uh, at a booty. It will not be booty. in class without some books, too. That's exactly right. I um, <laughs> this is I, I asked him. This is a booty. A booty was the first tour guide in the Nile Valley. A booty man of Luxor, uh, by L.J. Craven is his autobiography. A booty's bookstore. There are there are a couple. One is in the shadow of Luxor Temple, and you know me. I mean, I'm ruthless. So we uh, got we got everybody in. We got it. We're all situated. I wanted them especially to see Sachette, the carving of Sachette. Uh, we talk about hidden figures, Catherine Johnson, all them. This is the great, 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 grandmother of every mathematician. She is the sister whose 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 figure, whose image represents everything that can be measured and counted. When you build a temple, when you build anything in Nile Valley, you see her on the walls with the architect because the architect has to follow her. There's a device on the top of her head that has been interpreted as a, like a device that uh, that gives order to how the stars are arranged, how, that kind of measures the distance between the stars. It's an upside down cow horns, and then you see this star-shaped uh, uh, glyph on top of her head. So she, and she wears a leopard skin dress, by the way. Black women, y'all been wearing leopard skin for a long time. Then leopards, you know, leopards are common to, I think, Turkey and Russia and England. Oh, wait, no, inner Africa. But the point is this. So after I got everybody situated, okay, we good. Okay, the guys are there. You know, we ran to the people. Okay, boom, I got to hit it across the street because we get back on the bus at an hour and I got precision to get over to a booties, the bookstore. So of course I go out there and clean them out for anything that they've published since 2019 because that's my job and come back to the bus and then, you know, I rejoin. But I asked them, do you have a copy of the, the small book that's his body? They said, we they don't, but my cousin might have it. Where's your cousin? Your cousin across town in Luxor. Well, I know that a booty's bookstore in near the other location is near where the hotel is. So now I just make sure everybody's good. So I slip away after I figure out where it is and get around in the alley. And I'm sitting there with his grandson, a booty's grandson, who continues to run the bookstore. And I also bought a copy of Egypt, a booty's guidebook. This is the first guidebook written by a guide in Egypt. A booty wrote a guidebook. And I'm saying all that to say that, you know, we, but you know, I wasn't alone. These Negroes bought all the books. And anyway, this book is an interesting piece. I'm gonna end with this one because there's a lot more, and I, I'm gonna bring them all back. So we'll talk about. There's, I will. Well, let me, let me since I, I, I got a couple here. Most of them I don't have in here. I mean, this is an interesting book I found. This actually a U.S. is called uh, Rosalind and Mac Jansen wrote a book, "Getting Old in Ancient Egypt." 
I want you want to spend some time with this book. I might pack this and put this on the plane and take it and read it while we fly back. Because when you get old in a society, how you treat the elders is the barometer of your society. It isn't, let's invest in the children. How are you treating the elders? And we know how we treat our elders as the repositories they're supposed to be. We know how we've learned to mistreat our elders. So I want to read up on some more of that. But um, there are a couple of uh, couple of others. Um, Hussein Basir has a new book, Living Forever, Self-Presentation in Ancient Egypt. Well, it's not new. It came out about two years ago. It's about three years ago now, but after COVID. This is interesting, this book on self-presentation in ancient Egypt, because we think about pharaohs. We spent a lot of time in this couple of weeks, almost two weeks now that we've been here, talking about people who weren't pharaohs. We understand we're fascinated with Tutankhamun, we're fascinated with Akhenaten, we're fascinated with Seti and Seti's uh, mother who helped drive out the Hyksos. We saw her battle medals in the Luxor Museum, which is fascinating story I'll tell you all another time. But what about folks who weren't royalty, who weren't the governors, who did, who, who we have some testimony from, just the regular people who do the living? And then this book, which is a kind of coffee table book, it's a little off, a little esoteric for my taste, but I couldn't leave it in the bookstore, Semai Samatawi, Tawi means the two lands. Samatawi is about the political formation that allows the people of the Nile Valley to create a society. Because what we're talking about in terms of Egypt is this incredible collective work. That's really what it is. It is a collective work. And so when you do something collectively, you can sustain over thousands of years like ancient Egypt. That's said there's a lot of images in there. Some of the stuff is kind of overly interpreted. One thing about study is you ain't got to guess if it's there. Obinga used to always say, never guess Medu Netcher. You ain't got to say, I can, I can guess that. You can be bold in your reading of it. In fact, when Angie finished the other night, uh, Mario said, who was the finest teacher of Egyptian language there is, and a lot of his students are here reading this stuff off the walls. Prof, this lady came up behind us, one of the sites we were at the other day, and asked one of the folks that's with us, you can read that? <laughs> this is it. Yeah, we can read some of it. And the lady was like, <laughs> in other words it's amazing to them but you know it's neither here nor there but the point i, the point I was about to raise is this is what mario said you know one of the reasons he likes the way that angie reads the glyphs and makes interpretations and this goes for deborah heard who said i don't argue with these egyptologists i just do my work i said this need to be on a t-shirt deborah heard i just do my work them five words you know said this sister who is an archaeologist you know but I'm raising it to say this. He said, you, you don't have to guess, but once you grounded yourself in study, you can be bold in your interpretation. And that's important for us because our stories now have to be told by us and they cannot be drawn from other people's imaginations, other people's renderings of us. We have to be bold enough. As Sheikh Job says, we have to be serene enough to accept the facts as they are. That's important because as Sheikh on the Job said about ancient Egypt, he said nobody would have looked with more horror at what happened to the disintegration of ancient Egypt and the idea that non-African people would be in control of African people. Sheikh on the Job said nobody would have looked on at, with more incredulity than the Egyptians mm -hmm. because they had ruled for so long that they could never imagine that the situation would be reversed. The Egyptians could not have imagined the brawl in Montgomery because black people would never be in that situation. The Egyptians would never, Martin Luther King, what the hell happened to us? Wait, wait a minute, we're in chains? No, we put people in chains. This is the problem of Ramses. <laughs> you know, you, Ramses rolls on his cousins in Nubia. You see it, you see 
them under his feet, along with a whole bunch of other people at Abu Simple. It's some stuff we got to talk about in terms of Black-on-Black relations, even with those we respect. But my point is this. We would never have imagined there was a time when we would have been subjugated. The Egyptians could never have imagined that. And so understanding that, we have to then return to this very important thing that uh, Aikwe Armar talks about in his book, Wakinet Shinsu. We have to understand that we can read, we can study, we can have conversation with our ancestors without interpreters, to quote Jacob Carruthers. And when we do that, we can recover the momentum of memory that will allow us not to have, we're not talking about, if you want to do a 1619 project, I'm 100% in, in favor of it. 1619 BC project. Let's do a 1619 project Oof. and put a BC in front of it. See, because this 1619 AD, yeah, I'm for fighting, I'm for pushing back, but you didn't, no. Nah. Let's go back, 1619 BC. I'm right there. New Kingdom. We can start there. <laughs> See, I'm going to stop with that. Uh, let's do this. Uh, I'm completely yes. in support and uh, <laughs> help facilitate yes. that. Uh, you just, oh my goodness. I, you're giving me so much work to do in that time, <laughs> that time piece uh, that you, I was like, when will we have the time? Uh, but we're going to have to create it. And uh, and people uh, who have opinions, please make sure your opinions are rooted in actual knowledge. You don't. I I feel like we should check people if they don't have the knowledge to say things. No question. Be quiet. Um, uh, somebody shared in not the Nubia chat, but in, in the narrative uh, chat on YouTube that Mr. Okay. Um, Clemson Brown has made transition, and they please. wanted to tell you that. Yes. In fact, thank you. Uh, thank thank you, Karen, because. Oh my God, thank you. That's the perfect way for us to end. Let me pause here just to be quiet for a moment because we will pour a libation for Clemson Brown. Last night, Baba Sweets, he and his wife are here. They celebrated their first year anniversary. They got married in Kemet a year ago this, this week. They had a cake. It was, it was very nice. Baba Sweets, who was a Brooklyn boy, who was regaling us with stories of going to Tree of Life, I said, well, you know, Dr. Amin, that's her people's shop. What? Yeah, so Tree of Life, so Sunyata, your people. She's growing up in there making the herbs, mixing the herbs, I mean, with the stuff on her fingers. You know how she tells the story. Baba Sweets, as we got ready to do our nightly convening and reflection and lecture last night, Baba Sweets came up and said, hey, man, I don't know if you heard. I just got word from the state that Clemson Brown passed. I said, damn, Clemson Brown. Minister Clemson Brown is the reason why you go on YouTube, anything you see with Atlantic Productions, Clemson Brown recorded. I really don't know if there's an accounting of everything he recorded. Clemson Brown was never without his video camera. Most of what we have, I won't say most, much of what we have, particularly, I won't say not just the New York area, but if you're talking about the United African Movement, all Maddox, all that's Clemson Brown, the recording. You see Jeff Carruthers get one of the most powerful discussions of truth. It's called Truth and Falsehood. You go on YouTube, you'll see it. Clemson Brown. Clemson Brown, for years, would come to the ASCAC meetings, and he and I would talk. And he would be like, I got all these, these VHS tapes. I don't have hundreds. I have thousands. I'm not exaggerating. Clemson Brown 
if anything, he went to me at his camera and he went to every Amos Wilson, Remba Ani, you name Naeem Akbar, Asa Hick, you name it. There are other people, Paul Gibson in the Philly area, Timbuktu, Philly and Jersey. And there are people all over the reef. Sylvester Rivers out there in the West Coast. I can start naming these cats. All you black academics who come in and knew me and watch, I want y'all to listen very closely as I whisper into your ear. You can pray that you can write a academic article or maybe even a book on this kind of stuff for your master and you will never ever get close to what you could do if you put your master's opinion out of your head and work for your people but i ain't invested no time in you i just want to say that as a commercial announcement to all the negroes who think that black white academia somehow is going to save us it's not clemson brown was a recorder of our people and he labored in governance formations where we all loved, knew, and respected him. He was ill for a while, he recovered for a while, but he is virtually unknown in his social structure. Ken Burns, I don't know who that is. I know Minister Clemson Brown, and Sweets told us last night, so we raised his voice as we had our meeting. We paused for a moment and sent out the ashe, and we're gonna pour a libation to Minister Clemson Brown, and we'll talk more about him when we get back. And yeah, thank you for letting the world know uh, folk in the line in the line on the Nubia channel. Y'all tell people to subscribe to that Nubia channel, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah Clemson Brown, Ashe, Ashe, yes. I, I um purposefully hadn't been a crusader to um you know get people to subscribe to narrative to be a part of Nubia, primarily because of oh, what, yeah. you. what you talked about with the broken obelisk. You know. Yes. Um, the work that is required that we need from one, one another, I think we haven't been doing. Like you said, the Montgomery boy, bus boycott couldn't happen today. And that's a failure uh, on our part to not have the momentum of memory to build upon something that could free all of us. Right. So I can imagine, you know, a, a flood of flooding in of people who aren't ready to do the work, just running around like the last scene of. They own Tyrone. Yes. I have to wrangle that, you know, somebody that is literally, you know, in this space every day, you know, checking in, you know, like I ain't got the time and I don't think many people are equipped. So I've been very on purpose, not saying come and join and this, you know, it's like here and there, if you hear it, if you hear it, you hear it, you'll come, the call will pull you. But I, no, that's a good point, and thank you for that corrective. I mean, and I and I and I, I take that as a corrective because it's necessary correction. I just be wanting everybody, you know, like hold on, let's just. And so I, I greatly, I love and appreciate you for that as well because that's important. Discipline, you have standing at set my eye. Everybody who lived there, those women and men that lived there, they had to know Madam Nature. They were architects. There were people who tested stone, strength of stone. Your skills have to be at the top of your game. And guess what? All of us can reach the top of our game. We can in the uh, in the conjuring of uh, young brother uh, um, uh, Sankara. We can be, we can be gods metaphorically. If your four year old and a little child shall lead us, and you know, and, and, that's, and that's and that's not to say, that Dr. Carter, everybody has to come with skills. But then no. you sit in it. You sit in it and and sit. You know, if you come in, there are 100 now, there'll be 179 in class with cars. There are 100 metanetric classes. There are, right. you know, there, there are so many things that you can sit with. A lot of you should knows. 
get your skills up, you know, come in with the notion to get your skills up so that you can help build. Right. And then you, but you know, in Nubia, you know, we, we engage, but you know, it's not just a spewing. It's not a place of spewing, which is what no. we've been conditioned to do over the last 20 years through social media. Right. Just, spew. Yes, that's just right. come in and just spew. Everybody's got an opinion. I, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to just spew. No, this is building we need to build something and we're building it for a time when we won't be here. Right. That's the vision. That's right. That's right. So that's right. Yeah, it requires that's something. That's right. That's right. In fact, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because here we are, the 50th anniversary of hip hop. One of the great articulations of don't jump in the middle of this if you're not ready to work. Of course, the great KRS-One. Build your skills. No question. Some rappers talk ish, and too many don't. Can't they take it too lightly? Build your skills. So yeah, the Goodlit family. Uh, you know, uh, Sankara's mother and father are here and they've been there on our bus as well. I mean, when you see, in fact, it's so funny. Mario, we were at, we were at, when we were at lunch somewhere, somewhere we were out, and he asked Sankara a question. He said something. He said, uh, where did you learn to learn so much? When did you get so smart? And he said, uh, he said something like, well, I learned from my parents and I learned to be excellent like every black child. I mean, he said, Mario said, stop. He said, what, boy, I, <laughs> in other words, this young man said, I'm not, I'm exceptional and I'm not alone. We're all, all, all the children are exceptional. That's not like Mariba Kelsey. Mariba Kelsey made a, once made a, 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 a mantra that he had young people repeat, including all his children. I am a genius. My ancestors were geniuses. I must do genius. Now, this is the educated number. All of us. <laughs> you know, saying, yes. I am a genius. <laughs> oh, anyway. <laughs> thank, thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave us with this. We'll yeah, see yeah. you hopefully in office hours. I know Michael yeah, Harris. Michael, I'm I'm gonna get with you. We gonna we gonna do a screening because his Draped Mania, uh, his podcast is fire, and so we're gonna do a listening yeah. a listening party or a listening experience in Nubia with him. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. So We've we'll been talking about that, that too. Yeah, you gotta so, do that. Yeah, gotta yeah. do that. I understand. Uh, Mike, that uh, that you're gonna be at the Apollo. Oh yeah, and of course your wife said, you know, let's make sure that the Nubians know wherever he's gonna be on the book tour. I said, you know, you ain't got to worry about that. That's what that's, we do. That's all. That's all. I got. I got you. I got Say you. Less. You know, yes. Perry got you. I got you. <laughs> all right. Well, be safe on your way back. Your journey. Hug everybody for me. Send out love. And, and you know, I'm 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 feeling some ways about not being there, but yes, it's here. We, I'm there. This is the prep. This yes. is the prep. We we've had we've had a little bit because anytime you travel with that many people, we got elders. Shout out to every elder on this tour who has experienced a little bit of a challenge. It's one thing to say we're gonna walk in a pyramid. It's another thing to go in about four or five and in the temple and climb, and then you feel There's a little twinge. Yeah, you know, hundred degrees. So, but we haven't. We uh, like Harriet Tubman. We haven't lost a passenger. And these <laughs> elders, we still we talking about four year olds in car. Let's go to the other end. Every elder here who has had to pause for a moment. Had taken the extra drink of water, maybe ate something and gotten say gotten a fight in their stomach and they had to take a pill. We had a little bit of a sweat. We got three doctors on this tour, three black doctors, a sister, two brothers who have been phenomenal. And and so it, it's a challenge. But guess what? It's all prep ground. So when we come next year, we learned a lot. <laughs> One I planted, Dr. Nana Yao. Shout out to him. So I know Nana Yao's the man. Nana so Yao's going on. I'm like, we need some plants. I ain't, ain't nobody, you know, we ain't going to try to have it. Like, no child will be left behind, no elder mm -hmm. either. So, none. All of them. 
Now, uh, Nana Yao, Nana yeah. Yao, we were up on top of the, uh, of the hill today, and Nana Yao, who was a cold-blooded doctor, started comparing the Anansi stories to what he was seeing on the walls. So I'm saying, see, you can't do this. What black people got to do? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, shout out to that brother. Yeah. Yes, thank you, thank you, love you, Doctor Carr. Love you, love you. And thank you for this. Thank you for this. I didn't even know I needed this. I got got up this morning, woke up to this image, to this video that Dr. Carr sent me. And I was like, Lord, have mercy. I need to be here. Thank you.